Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Politicking Podcast with me, Ben Murray. And me, Stuart Thompson. So this week has been all about by-elections really, Stuart, hasn't it? Um, I know, you know, the, the Conservatives have suffered another another kind of heavy election defeat um, with, with both, both of their kind of by-elections. So I think we had one in Mid-Bedfordshire, which was Nadine Doris's uh, old seat. And one in Tamworth, which was Chris Pincher's old seat. Um, so, yeah, so they've both been kind of defeated heavily. I think that now takes Labour's total seats in Parliament up to about 199 seats and Conservatives down to 352. So there's still a huge swing needed at the next general election. But I suppose the sheer volume of the swing in votes in each uh, election is showing voter preference at the moment and could indicate how the next general election might go. Yeah, look, it, it gives Labour Party huge hope for the next general election. I mean, if you think back to 2019, you've already mentioned the Conservative seat numbers, which was a majority of sort of 80-ish or whatever it was. You know, to get from, you know, there to a possible win for Labour next time is massive. I mean, and nobody at the time thought they would be able to do it in one, you know, one sort of election uh, cycle and it looks like they might do it and it's the swings it's the size of the, of the swings and for me it's yeah it, it's you know it's an impressive couple of victories for Labour um, but it's also about the sort of the confidence that it gives other potential Labour voters it sort of gives them permission to think about voting Labour in a way that they might not have done before so so yes the election results are really impressive but those swings and that sort of, not precedent it sets, but that, that confidence it can give, you know, potential Labour voters, I think is the most important thing, really. Yeah, I mean, if if we just look at kind of the, the sheer volume of the swings, Stuart, like, so Chris Pinch's old seat, Tamworth, so the Conservatives had a majority of about 20,000 in 2019. So, so, so I think the swing in Labour's favour for this seat has been 23.9%, which is massive, isn't it, in terms of, like, you know that's been quite a safe seat, hasn't it, for the Conservatives over previous years and stuff. Stuff. Yeah, it 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 doesn't change very often. I mean, I, you know, um, I think it changed. Was it ninety seven? So you know, some of these things do. You know, some of these seats with large Conservative majorities now have been Labour in the past, but they haven't been anywhere near Labour in, in you know in recent years, and um, you know, in some of those instances, are sort of part of the you know the more red wall sort of areas as well. So again, just just confidence for Labour. Yeah, and I think the Nadine Doris's old seat as well, uh, the Bedfordshire one. I thought I thought that was quite interesting as well because I think people were like pipping that to be taken over by the Lib Dems, but Labour have overcome a twenty four thousand majority to win the seat for the first time in the history there. So I th- I thought that was quite interesting as well because I know a lot of people are kind of saying you know Lib Dems will kind of sweep up some of the, them Conservative seats and stuff, but that kind of wasn't the case. In in kind of uh, the mid Bedfordshire seat was it? No, and there, there, to be fair, there aren't that many seats that are sort of three way. Well, I was going to say three way marginal. This wasn't a marginal seat by any stretch of the imagination. So marginal being, you know, uh, whoever has you know has got the seat wins it by you know a few thousand votes or so. That's that's sort of you know considered marginal. You know, twenty four, twenty five thousand. As you've mentioned, Ben is is not marginal by any stretch. In other words, you know, come an election, you know, should it change hands? And the answer to that would be no, it shouldn't. Whereas you start going down towards ones with sort of two, three, four thousand, 
then the opposition parties will think, OK, yeah, we'll target those ones because we've got a decent chance of overturning that majority and getting in. But look, you know, if Labour or the Lib Dems are overturning majorities of that sort of size, that effectively means any, potentially any Conservative MP, there's only one or two that have got, you know, even bigger majorities, effectively most Conservative MPs will be looking over their shoulder and thinking, if it continues like this, we've got a real fight on our hands. And as a result, I think, A, you know, we'll see what, um, you know, Rishi and, and the Conservatives do, and we'll talk about some of the ways that they may try and change the narrative and, and, and try and get some momentum behind them, uh, you know, uh, later on. But... Um, you've also seen a number of Conservative MPs deciding they're not going to fight the next election. You know, yeah. I would imagine a good number of those are because they're worried that they'll they'll lose. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this surely adds a bit of pressure to kind of Rishi's position, Stuart. Like, and I know we discussed on the last podcast that we think you know an election might take place in May, just because you know local elections in May might be the the final kind of nail in the coffin for Rishi and stuff. So I, was, I, I don't really see how he's going to turn this round. It feels like he's tried every kind of trick in the book so far to kind of really turn that round. He's tried to come across as the stable leader. He's tried a bit of culture wars to try and like revert some, you know, and, and lay traps for Labour and all that kind of stuff. It's just not working, is it, for him at the minute? And he's he's still getting defeated with these huge majorities in, in you know, these by-elections and... You know, there's more. It looks like there's going to be more by-elections coming up soon, which could add further kind of, um, you know, ruin for for the Conservatives. So, how do you think he goes about turning this round? Can he, or do you think that the writing's on the wall for the Conservatives? I I think most governments, whatever their persuasion, tend to run out of steam. They just do. If you do more than two terms, if you get up to three terms or more, they just they just run out of ideas and they run out of energy and it's difficult to not feel that this particular government is sort of just running out of energy at the moment now can he turn it around look there is always a chance and as some conservatives will see yeah there is a narrow path to victory which is getting you know constantly more uh you know constantly narrower could they do it well look you know could be a you know proper full-out war in the middle east um uh, you know, the economy could pick up. He could get the small boats numbers down. He could get, uh, you know, what they would see as, um, you know, um, uh, you know, immigration and, and send some off to Rwanda, etc. So, you know, possible. But it feels increasingly unlikely, I say, because of those majorities, because it just seems to be that whatever he does um, doesn't seem to work. So he talks about a reset and talk about, you know, sort of, you know, talks about, you know, the conservative, the conference speech. He talks about change. He tried to portray himself as the change candidate, uh, you know, a week later or so. We have two um, by-elections that effectively decide that, you know, the change they want is a change of MP, a change of party, not a change, you know, that's effectively the same party as as the prime minister. So it's difficult to see. But, he you know, there's been speculation about a reshuffle. So he'll move ministers around, get some more his own favoured candidates in there um i just i just fear that everybody starts reverting to dirty tactics dirty you know allegations about you know people and and because you know box anyone into a corner and you come out fighting and and 
you know, politics is absolutely no different to the way that, you know, people behave, really. It's 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 all about people. And if the Conservatives and Rishi find themselves boxed into the corner and they think their only way out of that and their only path to, well, it may not even be a victory, but just not being annihilated is to really go hard on the personalities involved in Labour and the Lib Dems and the SNP and, and others, that it could be just a really horrible, nasty, vicious sort of election that frankly nobody does very well out and, and politics suffers. That's that's my real fear. Yeah, I suppose it does drag politics through the mud then, doesn't it? And it's, you know, we're, we're in a bit of a difficult time. And it puts people off. Yeah, I was going to say, Stuart, we're in, a bit of, we're in a difficult time at the minute where the last thing we do need is mudslinging. And I think, you know, it, it we need effective decision-making, really, and effective leadership. And, yeah, it's it, it's probably the worst time to come, really, for a, a general election like campaign and lead up to, you know, to, to one when we're in such a, a tough time. I just wanted to look a little bit at, like, why are we having so many by-elections at the minute? Because it feels like just yesterday, Stuart, on, like, a previous episode, we were speaking about previous by-elections and stuff like that. A lot of it, to me, seems like it's down to standards of behaviour of MPs. So, for example, Chris Pincher, I think we all know kind of what happened there. I mean, his behaviour and, and the kind of sexual assault allegations that was thrown at him ultimately led to Boris Johnson's downfall. Um, and... This this is a seat that was just kind of being contested. Nadine Doris, like you know, she she kind of didn't turn up to Parliament for kind of months on end. She didn't speak to any of her kind of constituents for months on end. Um, while taking home kind of a pay packet of like eighty six thousand, which is you know absolutely bonkers, really. Um, and I know I've seen in the news recently Peter Bone as well. So he he's another MP. I think he's MP for Wellingborough. Um, so it's looking like he's going to get suspended for kind of some allegations that have been thrown at him around sexual assault. There's Crispin Blunt, who's I think he was a former minister, wasn't he, Stuart? If I'm right in saying that. So I think I think he got arrested the other day. Came out and admitted it, for, and I think it was uh, to do with rape allegations and allegations of kind of drug drug uh, use and it just feels a bit like what is going on in the Houses of Parliament at the minute because how, how can we have a culture of this going on something seriously needs to change doesn't it you know that's that's four in the past kind of couple of months that I've just named, yeah, that, yeah. I've just named there look I mean and there are allegations on for Labour members uh, as well you know it's, it's again not a party political thing by any stretch I mean Blunt uh, uh just to clarify, I suppose he would. Uh, yes, he uh, revealed, or so, uh, say revealed, but he did say that he was the one that had been arrested, but doesn't uh, recognise any of the allegations and think he, he don't doesn't think they'll they'll progress. So, so it's it's only he confirmed that he was the the MP that was arrested, not not any of the rest of it. Um, <laughs> Glad you're here for that. Glad you're here for that. The legal. Yeah, just, <laughs> just just to clarify, just to clarify, <laughs> you know. Uh, so just just um, so he thinks he'll be. You know, uh, you know, well, not even found not guilty because he doesn't think it will go anywhere because he uh, doesn't yeah. uh, recognise the allegations. Uh, look, Doris, again, different look. I mean, you know, she didn't turn up. Yeah, that's fine. But MPs can not turn up. They don't have to do. Mm. You know, there's no reason. That, you know, normally you turn up and you do the work for the constituency because you believe in it and you want to be re-elected and, and all these other things. Uh, she decided to resign. So she decided to resign. So she wasn't forced out anyway. Whereas... Uh, Peter Bone gets suspended by Parliament um, because of the allegations again of, of impropriety. Um, 
you know, recall petition means that he could face a by-election. So, you know, there are, there are a number of different things. But you're right, it all sorts of adds together to mean sleaze and misbehaviour and MPs abusing their power. You know, 99.9% of them are really decent human beings. In any workplace, you get some horrible people as well. And amongst MPs, it's no different. I think, look, I mean, some of it's about parliamentary reform. Part, you know, there's yeah. no HR systems. And, you know, when the political parties, I mean, I think the... Um, I think I'm right in saying that, you know, the the, the 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 researcher that complained about Peter Bone had also gone to the Conservative Party and they hadn't done anything about it or taken a long time, etc., etc. So there are no proper processes. If there is a yeah. problem, how the heck do you sort it out? And you can't really. Well, you can, but it can take time and the parties aren't good enough and the Parliament doesn't have an HR system, etc., etc. So... Um, so I say, you know, the vast majority, of, you know, good, honest, lovely people. There are a few horrible people as well. But you need the processes in place to make sure that they don't abuse their power. But part of it, I think, is, again, about any party being, you know, in power for a long time. I say, you know, there are, you know, Labour allegations, you know, as well. It's not just about the Conservative Party, but it does seem that a lot more or more, I should say, are about you know, conservative MPs, yeah. I mean, abuse of power, uh, arrogance of power, all these sorts of things are, are entirely possible. It just adds to the sort of, look, let's just get this lot out and get another lot in type feeling that we've got through with those by-election results as well. It, it just it just feels to me like it's been a theme over the past couple of years in particular, Stuart, with, you know... A, We've got the COVID inquiry, which is kind of continuing next week. And I think there's kind of, is it a report being published next week on, on that to show findings of kind of, yeah, culture where, where it's kind of gone wrong and all that kind of stuff. It just, it just, the whole thing just kind of stinks to me at the minute. And I think that is, like you say, a need for reform of the whole kind of system, HR processes. Because at the end of the day, and I know we don't like to think of Parliament like this, but it is a workplace. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, it's you know it's a place where people go to work and should be treated kind of with respect, with humanity, with all that kind of stuff. Um, and and there should be a bit of professionalism there, especially in the kind of positions of power that all these kind of MPs hold. Surely you know something needs to change to to make sure all that complaint process is right as well and make sure that it gets followed through with and, and all that kind of stuff, I suppose, as well. Yeah, I, no, I agree entirely. And, you know, the trouble has been that each individual MP or, or peer, but you know, we're talking about MPs primarily, are their own small business. So they do the employment and the getting rid of and the employing interns and, you know, everything else. Uh, and the costs associated, they'll claim back as expenses and etc. Well, obviously, in the past, expenses has been another problem that the Parliament has had, you know, had to face. Um, but yeah, something something does need to you know radically change. Otherwise, frankly, again, people won't want to work in that sort of environment. It's it's if it's not a pleasant environment in which to work, and why should the standards of behaviour be different there than it is in any other workplace? Look. If if that had happened to any of the places that I've worked in the past, or any of the you know places that you've worked and authorities that you've worked, then you know we rightly be out on our backside and probably reported to the police uh, you yeah. know, as well <laughs> for you yeah. know some of the behaviour that's 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 been you know alleged. So you know Parliament should be no different, but 
again, it just it just doesn't do any. It doesn't do politics any good. It doesn't. It doesn't no. give anybody any faith that you know any government should be trusted anyway. And again, it's not just a party thing because actually, in some ways, it always suits an incumbent government if everybody thinks all these politicians they're all exactly the same as each other. They're all mm-hmm. in for this. Therefore, why bother? Well, therefore, everybody gets done down by that not the incumbent that that may or may not be having most of the problems so in some ways it sort of serves their purpose to you know for that um sentiment to take root yeah i I think that's the big worrying thing for me Stuart. is it's that oh why why should i vote they're all the same no one you know they don't know me It, it adds to that doesn't it and i think you know we we do really need it to go the other way where it's kind of people kind of engaging more with politics, taking part, especially kind of younger people as well, because otherwise, you know, policies get formed without them in mind. Do you know what I mean? They they come bottom of the pile when it comes to kind of trying to get votes from these parties and stuff. So, so yeah, I think it's a really important point. Yeah, and I think the you know on the COVID inquiry, if allegations continue to come out about how, you know, most government is done via WhatsApp. And people have lost all their WhatsApp messages or deleted them, or the messages they're exchanging. And there's an allegation today that some of the, you know, uh, Boris and, um, uh, you know, um, colleagues were exchanging pretty, you know, well, I was going to say misogynistic, uh, you know, messages. If that turns out to be true, say big if, but if that turns out to be true, then again, it, it it just betrays politics. And does. and does yeah. reinforce why are these people doing this? We can't trust them. They're all in it for themselves, etc. And we mm-hmm. can't have that. No, not at all. I think that's a good place to kind of break there, Stuart. So we'll just have a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about the King's speech and autumn statement. See you in a sec. Everyone, we're back. So now we'll just be talking a bit about uh, the King's speech and the autumn statement. So. I can give a bit of a summary, Stuart, if that'd be helpful, just on the, the King's speech, what it is, um, what it plans to do and stuff like that. So so the King's speech, you might have heard about this kind of in the news and stuff like that, but it'll be taking place on the 7th of November. And usually the King's speech kind of marks the state opening of Parliament. And it's basically a speech which kind of lays out all the legislation that the current government plans to lay before Parliament over the coming year. So I think that'll be kind of the key premise of the King's Speech, won't it? So should we should we get into the King's Speech first, Stuart, and then we can talk about what the Autumn Statement is as well in a bit. Um, but let's, yeah, let's start with the King's Speech. So what what are we kind of expecting? I mean, I've had a, re- I've had a little look at, you know, anything on the King's Speech and can't find anything Stuart's on it at the minute to be honest so I'm trying to kind of pick pieces from kind of different speeches Rishi Sunak's kind of had recently and stuff like that anything that you've picked up that you you want to kind of highlight on it yeah well there's a few draft bills that the government will want to introduce which are basically sort of consultations so uh, and their hangovers from the last manifesto and um and previous queen speeches because in the past it was obviously the queen that announced these things not the king now the king's speech um and there's a few what they call carryover bills as well so they're bills that are going through in this uh, sort of parliamentary year 
um, and don't quite get all the way through. So uh, they call it carryover motion and then it goes into the new parliamentary year. So there'll be a few of those. And then there'll be a little splattering of, of, of new uh, legislation as well. Maybe in education, maybe health, those sorts of things. Um, you're right. Details are a little bit thin on the ground uh, at the moment. They tend to start being leaked quite forcefully about a week before. So we're always 7th of November. So actually this probably this coming weekend, um, uh, I would start to see some, you know, some speculation, some well-placed speculation about legislation that, that's coming forward, probably something on immigration, you know, those sort of things. And I, I think it's very difficult to see this particular King's speech as anything but the sort of the first of the sort of big set piece announcements in the run up to the next general election. So this is the way that the government shows that it still has some life. It still has ideas, can still do things, um, but also to give a flavour of what a future longer term Rishi Sunak government might look like. Um, I mean, bottom line is, no, anything that's announced in a King's speech is, is just a rough guide to what a government will do anyway. So there's some bits of legislation that they'll announce, there's some bills that they'll announce that don't actually go anywhere. Equally, you know, some emergency pops up, uh, you know, like it did sort of post, um, you know, P&O ferries when they, I'll get my terminology wrong here, but when they got rid of all their staff, sacked all their staff, you know, the government introduces uh, an emergency piece of legislation around employment. That wouldn't have been in the, you know, Queen's speech at that point but happens because the government needs to do something so it's a king's speech is a rough indication rather than a sort of definitive list of what will happen i think the main problem here is look there's no time um again ben you've you've already mentioned that you know when, when our you know what our smart money is on may if that you know if we are smart in any way probably you know fail miserably but <laughs> uh but you know if that is may then if you think about it this this thing happened at the beginning of november there's a bit of debate about it um, you've only got about a month before uh, the Christmas holidays kick in. Um, and as you've already mentioned, we've got the um, autumn statement at the back end of November as well. So you've got a bit of time just before Christmas. You know, they come back. I think they probably break for a sort of a half term week. Uh, then you've got uh, the Easter holidays, March, April. And then actually, if you've got no, if the election is in May, then there's normally, well, you know, three, four, five, six weeks, whatever, uh, election campaign so if you count back from may that's the sort of back end of march so what have you got two and a half months sort yeah. of nothing will happen there is no yeah. time so this is you know posh window dressing it's nice it's window yeah. dressing it's good and it's wigs and gowns and all those sort of things and it's got the parliamentary pomp and ceremony and all that but look what are the chances of pieces of legislation that are mentioned in this King's speech going through and being passed and becoming a an act and then law, I think are minimal. One or two of those carryover bits might happen, but as for any sort of brand new bills coming through, I think that, you know there's very little chance. So this is all about preparation for the general election. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you was, I suppose, if you was asking Rishi Sunak this right now, Stuart, he'd probably be like. You know, we're prepping for an election in January 2025, which means, you know, we would have kind of over a year to kind of get some of that through and, you know, get some of these commitments on the manifesto through and all that kind of stuff. But but I'm with you. I, I think it's going to be a May election. I can't see... It, it is a bit of a zombie government at the minute, Stuart. It's just, it just feels like they're hanging on, uh, you know. So I think May's probably the right time. And like you say, that 
what what are they going to get through in that time? Everyone knows how long the kind of process is to get a bill through all the different processes, you know, in Parliament and all that kind of stuff, all the different sign-off committee stages and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it, I mean, it'd have to get carried over to a Labour government. I mean, that's me guessing, to be honest, but, you know, the next government, for example. So, yeah, I'd, I mean, like you say, I think it's just going to be another kind of... Uh, and place where he can kind of announce some key key bits really that the government that the conservatives are going to do so it's another kind of campaigning tool for him to use um so that's the kind of king's speech Stuart. um i mean i've seen some things in the pipeline on that around kind of education reform we, we've had a few consultations through kind of in my workplace just on kind of like cap on migrant levels all that kind of stuff so i'm guessing it, some of it will relate to to some of that and, and probably some of what he kind of announced in his party conference speech as well Let, let's kind of part the king's speech there autumn statement then Stuart. so i don't think i'm the only one who gets the autumn statement and the budget mixed up can you give us a bit of a summary of what what both of them are what what they plan to do all that kind of stuff because i think it is quite confusing you know for just the the average person hey look I, I, you know it's, it, it's, it's confusing because sometimes governments sort of almost deliberately confuse what they're for Normally a budget is about tax. I mean, this is really simplistic, but it's, well, it's the only way that I can get it in my head. Budgets are about tax uh, and autumn statements are about spending. So it's not it's not as clear cut as that. It's not quite as you know straightforward as that. But generally, if you want to know about, you know, taxes on booze and cigarettes and, you know, and income tax and VAT rates, that that's budget. Autumn statement is more about spending and particularly government spending um, plans. They can set them out one year, several years. Again, that tends to vary. There's not one way they will do these things, but it's it's the government spending part, uh, particularly where it comes to government departments. So, um, you know, how much the communities, well, it's not called communities, local government levelling up and blah, 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 you know, Michael Gove's department uh, will get and then how much local authorities would get from you know that's the sort of thing that an autumn statement would um would deal with but again you know government likes to blur the edges sometimes so if it wants to talk a little bit so so particularly for this autumn statement given that we'll have a budget in march um no date confirmed but you know it'll be in march they're always in march roughly um they've got to keep the spending tight so that come the budget in March, there might be an off chance that if they've had some growth, so if that's gone well or inflation has come down or something like that, um, there might be a bit of cash to splash. So if there is some cash to splash, they can then uh, announce tax cuts uh, or some revisions if need to be, but you know probably tax cuts around uh, that time, which would then be about two months before the general election, potentially. So again, it sets the scene for the general election. And again, look, I'm just to reiterate, I don't think we can see the King's speech, the autumn statement, the budget, his, uh, you know, Rishi's conference speech, anything all other than in the prism of getting ready for general election. Yeah. Just just on that, Stuart, so if, for example, if they did commit to some spending commitments through the autumn statement, to some legislation, to the King's speech, all that kind of stuff, and then were to be ousted from government in May, would those commitments still have to be honoured by an incoming government, or could they just kind of rip up the the rule book and start again? Uh, yeah, yeah, you rip up the rule book and start again. 
It's it. No, no one government can can constrain or commit to the next government, even if it's of the same party. So you get a change in government. You know, now they the Labour Party could say, as um, Blair did and Brown did in '97, that they would sort of live by the spending plans that the previous Conservative Chancellor had, Kenneth Clark, I think at the time, which was seen as quite a big deal. And Clark didn't think they would stick to those sort of levels of spending, which were quite low historically at that point. Um, but they did because they needed they thought they needed to show the electorate that they could be trusted with running the economy. So you could get the same sort of thing again, whereas Labour says, look, you know, it's not ideal, but frankly, there is no cash. We will stick to those spending commitments made by the, you know, the current Conservative government. But equally, they might go, do you know what? we want to spend much more money on health and education or mm-hmm. defence hasn't had a fair share for a long time or look, local authorities have been bearing the brunt of cuts since 2010. It's only fair that they get a little bit more cash. Da, da, da. They can do that. So all bets are off. A new government comes in. It can do exactly what it wants. Might be the same as the previous one. Might be completely and utterly different. Yeah, And the same for legislation as well. The legislation will definitely go. They'll definitely tear they definitely stop everything and they will have their own king's speech with their own legislation and their own ideas. Now, there might be some bits and pieces from the current sort of, you know, government's plans. So, you know, the current government have talked about sort of um uh you know, no fault uh, evictions. Yeah, evictions, yes. Uh, and uh the government now has said, Well actually we're not very sure about that because the court system doesn't really work, so we're not gonna bother with that. Now, it could be that Labour picked that up in a bill you know, if they were to get into government. So in that sense, it's sort of continuation, sort of not. But so some of the ideas might knock around for a new government, but equally, probably, probably not, apart from one or two very specific cases. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's just I just thought it might be helpful just to kind of re- like, yeah, explain that point and stuff. So. So, yeah. So, I mean, autumn statements that that's taking place later in November, isn't it? So that's the 22nd of November. Um I've not seen anything which could indicate what they're planning to do with that either at the minute. Um, I think, once again, that's probably another one, isn't it, Stuart, where you get leaks kind of the week in the week leading up to the autumn statements, which kind of give a bit of an indication of which way it's going to go, who's going to kind of do the best out of it and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I think it's just a wait and see, but two dates for your diary if you're kind of interested in, you know, government legislation coming up and, and where the kind of spending's going to go. I think, Stuart, that's probably it for this week, unless there's anything else you want to kind of pick up on. Pick up on? No, I think that's, oh, that's plenty for people to get their teeth into, I think, isn't it? You know, but we've, we've done by-elections, we've done sleaze, we've done international politics, we've done, uh, you know, legislation, spending... We've covered the board, haven't we, this week? We've covered the board. Yeah, so I, I think we'll probably return um, maybe just after the autumn statements took place for the, for the kind of autumn statement special. We can look at kind of some of them spending commitments. Might have a better idea of, you know, if a general election is coming by then and stuff like that. So, yeah, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Politician Podcast. I um, hope you've enjoyed this one. I know it's been a bit kind of all over the place today, but hopefully it gives you a good kind of idea of what's going on at the minute across uh, Parliament and Government. Thanks again, Stuart. Thanks for your time as well. No worries, Ben. Thanks, everyone. Thanks all. Take care. Bye. See you next time.